everybody. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and a higher nature, how to improve our finances, relationships, careers, physical, and emotional health. And today we have a very wonderful guest today, a young married couple who have a fascinating story to tell us through their journey through the foster care system. Uh, we have Justin Black and Alexis Black. They are keynote speakers, founders of several organizations, Scholarship Expert and the Rose Empowerment Foundation. They're recipient of several national awards for their work, and they're co-authors of a great new book called Redefining Normal, How to Foster Kids, Beat the Odds, and Discovered Healing Happiness and Love, available November 1st. Welcome to the show, Justin Thank you. Alexis. Thanks for having us on here. So, yeah, you guys got an incredible and amazing story. I, actually, I only have two chapters of it, and I was kind of fascinated by it, just by the two chapters. Oh, wow. uh, and I guess more's coming. <laughs> and you guys got an incredible story. So I want to start with you, Alexis. Going to your background, you suffered a lot of trauma and abuse in your past. And mm-hmm. apparently at age six, you were placed in foster, actually with your dad, your biological dad, mm-hmm. after your mom died. And you thought it was an accident, mm-hmm. but later you discovered it was suicide later in your teen years. And then uh, he unfortunately abused you emotionally, physically, and sexually for many years until around 14 years of age or so. Yeah, 13. Uh, you testified mm-hmm. against him and he went to jail or, or prison. Mm-hmm. And then you would live with your aunt and she uh, yep. kicked you out eventually for some reason. And then you found a loving foster family home. And they yes. adopted you at age 26. Is that kind of a nutshell yes. kind of thing? Okay. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, okay. And then you got accepted to a scholarship to Western Michigan University as well, and you graduated. Uh, yes, with, I have um, two degrees. Two degrees. What are your degrees in? Um, one's a BBA in entrepreneurship, and the other one is a BA in global studies, minors wow. in nonprofit leadership and political science. And I actually also studied abroad eight times. That's incredible. Do you speak Do you speak any languages at all? Or, um, um, Spanish, a little bit. Uh, I went to Ecuador, um, but okay. that's about it. <laughs> oh, okay, no problem. Now, this is um, a horrifying but very interesting story. So your dad abused you many for many years, and also he said other people sexually abused you, neighbors, friends, and, and others. Yes. And one thing is he said he, he kicked you with a steel toe at one time, boot or something, yes. as part of the abuse. Now, I assume you hated him, and at one point you said you wanted to kill him. You had a knife or something in the back of his head or something. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about it. Okay. So why didn't you kill him, for example? I guess I saw it as I was thinking of the consequences and what would happen. And just because I got him out of my life, what would what would my consequences be and what yes. would happen to me? And I, I don't know. There was just always something in me that I needed to do better and do more. And I felt like hmm. with him out of my life, I could do that. But there had to be another way. Definitely. And was he alive? Where is he now? Yeah, so he was in prison, and then he got released um, last year while I was studying abroad, and now he's back in Flint, Michigan. How do you feel about that? I mean, are you able to forgive? I mean, that. how do you feel toward him now? I mean, I don't necessarily have as much animosity or negative feelings anymore, um, because I had to learn to forgive him and also ultimately to forgive myself. And I think that was, it was was something I had to do for myself, not necessarily something for him. And I honestly forget that he's released because he's not on my mind regularly. And so when Mm -hmm. I go to Flint to visit other family members, um, typically I just go in and leave out, but I don't even think about that. Oh, he's there. What happens if I bump into him? And my biological brother is in Flint and he's like, oh, I think I just saw your your bio dad Mm. yesterday. And there's things like that that's triggering and jarring. Like, he's still alive. He's still roaming. Right. Um, And those things kind of are jarring um, because I'd rather just not think about it. (laughs) Definitely. I can see that. I mean, I wrote a book called The Three Secrets of Happiness. And one of the secrets actually is forgiveness. Not necessarily for that person that made the horrible things to you, but for your own nature to kind of move on in your future. Also to forgive yourself because many times we're self-critical. And you may have incorporated exactly. a lot of that criticism that, you know, or, or abuse that he gave toward you internally. Now, you said your aunt kicked you out. What happened there? Why did they kick you out? 
So I was in an abusive relationship with my ex for about eight years yes. and they didn't, they obviously weren't accepting of the relationship and they found out that I started talking to him again. Uh-huh. And so ultimately it was because of that. But for years I have been begging my foster care workers to get me out of the house because they knew that I wasn't happy there. Oh, okay. And I made it very apparent that I wasn't happy there and I didn't want to be there. And so that was just kind of the cherry on top of you got to go. And it was honestly the best thing that ever happened to me because then I oh. met my foster now adopted parents. I see but in the moment, I felt like my world was falling apart. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you said that you were even suicidal and you were hospitalized in a mental psychiatric facility. How was that experience? It was definitely the, I don't know how do I explain that experience, honestly, because I'm, I'm in this psychiatric facility for three days and it was one of the hardest, it was some of the hardest three days of my life where everybody around me is like going to the bathroom on themselves, pulling their hair out and lining up to take medicine. And then you get points to take a shower or to make your bed. And it just, I was really at the point where I was like, I would say and do anything to get out of here just because it was... And that was a traumatizing experience exactly. in itself. That's terrible. So 5150 hold for 72 hours? Is that what they kept you in for? Yeah, I think it was a 72-hour hold on Suicide Watch. Uh, since then, you've been no more suicide, no more of that stuff? Um, No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, throughout high school, there were several attempts. But after hmm. high school, not necessarily an attempt, but I had, I had thoughts, but not any attempts now. Okay. They have a beautiful uh, song you kind of quote in the book, Kirk Franklin, Imagine Me. Yes. And it sounds like a, a gospel singer, I believe. Kirk Franklin yeah. is. Okay. And it says mm-hmm. something like, imagine me letting go of all the ones who hurt me. And mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, almost, almost forgetting or I mean, for, forgiving or moving forward. Now, if you have advice to people that have been abused or traumatized, I work a lot with trauma victims and, and psychology. What's advice to them to let go of that past? I think it's really going to depend on per person of what they've gone through and um, how they're handling the situation. But ultimately, I would say for like one of the greatest things that I've done is group therapy, just because... It can be so difficult to, to be in one-on-one therapy with somebody and try to open yourself up and talk to them. But when you're in group therapy, that was the first time that I ever felt that I wasn't alone and that there were other people that have gone through similar things. It was On one hand, it was extremely sad because these there were other individuals that have gone through what I've gone through and you wouldn't yes. wish that on anybody. But at right. the same time, you're, you're just thankful that you've met somebody that has when you feel so alone. Yes, so definitely. that is definitely one thing that I recommend is is a group therapy setting. Okay. Also, you have a, a spiritual today. faith. Is there a particular path that you follow spiritually? We're both Christian. Christian. Yeah. Okay. So has that helped you at all, the faith part of things to kind of help move forward to a better uh, life? Yeah, absolutely. And we do weave that in and, in and out of the book. As you can see through each chapter, we mention what does the statistics say, as in what does the world tell us will be, and then what does God say? And so we're rooted in the word of God to get us through what we've gone through. Um, And so our spiritual faith has definitely grown us. And then from dating atheists and other individuals, Hmm. and then to dating and eventually marrying Justin, who is a very strong Christian and has pushed me towards um, my Christianity and believing in my faith in God. And so that has definitely worked towards our healing individually and together. Now, because of the horrific sexual abuse you went through, was it difficult to be sexually intimate with your husband or to trust again in this way? Yes, we do talk about that a little bit in the book. I was probably going to write another book about that, just if you've gone through sexual abuse and then how to handle intimate relationship. But I honestly, it's safe, for example, for triggers. Like, it's not his job to know all my triggers, but at the same time, if I'm aware of them, it's my job to translate them that to him so he's aware of it um, and for him to respect that. And so there are certain things that are triggering to me and that I've expressed that to him and he's very cautious of it. And also, like, we believe very strongly in consent every time. And so making sure that we're, 
I guess always on the same page in that regard because if it's unequal or yeah, I guess if it's unequal then it or unfulfilling to one person, then it can be triggering in that way. So we just always want to make sure that we're on the same page. Right. And when we say triggers, you mean what we call cues or associations in psychology, like things that okay. remind you of the trauma. Yeah. So people have like what are called flashbacks. They recall the previous abuse and things like that. Exactly. So you want to be able to be cognizant of that. Now, Justin, exactly. uh, moving over to you now, you got a fascinating story. Now, you look like an intellectual dude with those glasses, kind of, I don't know, are you nerdy in any way? Or are you, uh, how would you classify I, yourself? Well, yeah, I guess so. I'll, I'll take that. There's no, uh, there's no dumb nerd, so I'll, oh, you're a smart I'll nerd. take the nerd label. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but you grew up very tough uh, and rough, you said, in the poorest neighborhood in Detroit, Michigan. And then apparently you were with a drug-addicted mom and a drug-dealing dad, living in abandoned houses, no electricity, things like that, water, food, roaches. You mentioned hundreds of roaches crawling everywhere. You talked about your dad being stabbed by your sister because he was trying to beat up your mom. Drug dealers were like friends of the family in some ways. They would give you money at times. And they were, your, I guess, your role models in some ways in the neighborhood. People looked up to them because they had all the things people wanted. And then eventually, I think they caught up with you, Child Protective Services, at age nine. They took you out of that. And then you uh, end up, I think, living with your aunt or something. But you said that you were kind of happy at eight years of age because you had no school, you had video games, and you kind of thought it was fun. And then you would even beat up little kids if they mess with you or something like that. So tell us, how how was that fun in a certain way, even though you didn't know what was going on around you? I think that's kind of like the purpose of the book, really, is just uh, when we think about normal and what's normal from your perspective, what's normal from my perspective growing up as children and in certain circumstances, I put that in there specifically because those ideas and those circumstances for me and not just for me or those circumstances for Alexis at nine years old or as a teenager, that was our normal. And for other people in different communities, different parts of the country, uh, they may have a certain perspective on what's normal. And right. I said that to say, when we get to a point where maybe I'm a teenager or I'm an adult, if you see me uh, behave a certain way, if you were to see me react a certain way, it's easy for people to judge that reaction without right. knowing my background and my history and what was my normal. Hmm. Because if you were me and you were coming from my perspective, that reaction to a certain situation would be the normal. So I wanted to highlight that that situation, that circumstance was my normal. And also throughout the book, as you see us grow, uh, you will see that our normal began to change and we had to eventually redefine normal. I like that. We're actually going to deal with that a little later because I like the whole psychological concept of normality. That's very fascinating. Uh, now, you say your your uh, sister became pregnant at 18. Uh, your brother uh, became a father of 14. And so you got a lot of stuff going on here. This is pretty amazing. Now, why didn't you become a drug dealer or a father? I mean, what kept you out of this? I mean, you could have gone pretty bad. I mean, maybe, you know, gangs or I don't know what else is going on out there. Now, they had a study uh, called Overcoming the Odds. They did a long-term study on uh, one-third of risk, uh, at-risk youth. And a third of those were resilient. You know, the term resilient where you overcome adversity mm -hmm. and bounce back. And they found that there were three factors uh, that the resilient kids had. One of them is had like they had a pleasing personality. They were kind of fun, loving to get around. You know, people liked them. They were sociable and they you know got along well with people. So they had a nice temperament. Uh, number two, they had a talent or skill. Like some of them were good at sports um, or science or math or you know maybe they're comedians or funny people. And then finally, they had a mentor. Uh, not usually their parents even. They could have been a coach, a pastor, a grandparent or something. So what do you think saved you just in those early years where you could have gone really bad? Um, the, save, the same thing that saved me could have saved my siblings and, and will save my siblings. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a change of mind. You know, it all comes down to uh, making a decision on our lives. And at that time, I mean, I was on that path and I was on that road and I would, I could have ended up becoming one of those things and easily could have and 
the thing is, it's just our uh, it's family culture. And again, uh, what is being passed down to you? Those ideas were okay because there was uh, being becoming a father as a teenager right. or uh, getting pregnant when you're young. Those ideas right. and that culture was accepted, right. and it, it gets to a point where um, it just from a certain perspective. I, I just the perspective I had on the situation, uh, it was it was not it was not as acceptable to a certain extent, and it's just you get to a point where you see certain parts of life, and you're able to experience certain things where. You made that decision that's, that where that's not what you want. And were you a Christian course, at the time, or when did you think you became a Christian, more or less? So. Um, well, I believed in God pretty much my whole life, but it, it's a difference between really uh, believing in a religious God and right. believe, believing and developing a true relationship with spirituality. Right. Now you said your uh, the, your other uh, siblings are they okay? What's going on with those guys? I think we're all just in general trying to figure out life. And okay. are they still uh, in the system, or they, are they, you know, doing okay? I know they, they're all way older than me, so they oh, they okay. aged out of the system a long time ago. Okay. And really? again, we're all just basically trying to figure out life now. And um, you know, they they they've had some success, some downfall, and we're all just trying to go through the process of life and trying to uh, get on top of things. I would say, yes. and uh, we still are all overcoming. The trauma, because this is a lifelong process of yes. overcoming that trauma and that right. culture. So we're all just in the process of that in general. Yes. Now, you said when you were 16 or 17, you went to a group home and you met some mentors. Uh, you said black businessmen who were successful and that helped you kind of have a positive uh, image. So how did that help you in that way when you started to see these mentors that were different from the usual drug dealer kind of people? Yeah, so um, I think that just seeing more positive men who look like myself, uh, more black pastors and black businessmen, black architects, Right. Like engineers who um, successful men who look like myself really inspired me, and they spoke that they spoke life into my my situation, into oh. my story. Okay. You know, when I brought home bad grades, they had a higher expectation for me. When I didn't believe I can go to college, they told me, "We believe you can go to college. You have that talent and ability to go to college and be successful." Oh, okay. So they spoke that into me, and they believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. To yes. where it got to a point where I. Mm -hmm worked hard for them and I brought I got I brought home good grades for them and not even for myself. Mm -hmm. And it's just a community of people really speaking life into you and really contributing to them. That's great. So Alexis, you said that he's a very poetic guy. And I just heard the phrase speak life into the situation. That's very poetic. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Very much. <laughs> so he's got those gifted <laughs> words. Uh, and also, um, you you guys both earn a great a scholarship, right? To the university, uh, I think for foster kids or something called CETA, I believe you said it was. Yep, the CETA scholarship. CETA scholarship. And then uh, I think uh, you said you've traveled in over 30 countries, um, Justin, including R Rwanda. And I don't yeah, know if you so know we, uh, I think we've, yes. we've been to about 30 countries together. I've been together. to about 25 individuals, but we've been to about 30 wow. together. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, Rwanda, I don't know if you know this, Justin, it was rated as the second most loving country in the world. They actually did a study, and they found that 92% of people there say they felt loved the previous day. Uh, Philippines wow. is number one, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> what was number one? Uh, the Philippines was number one. Oh, wow. And we're kind of in the middle. America is about 25 or 26. So that's pretty cool. Did you find um, loving people there when you went to Rwanda? Uh, Rwanda is like my top two or top three favorite country in the world. Yes, um, Afri African country. Friend, yeah. the, the friends I have there are just simply amazing. Um, I talk to them pretty frequently, and I can't wait to go back once, you okay. know, the pandemic calms down and everything. Okay. So, so, yeah, Rwanda is one of the best places in the world. Yes, loving now, you have a great quote. Now, both of you guys have kind of interesting quotes. Uh, now, you talk about Psalms, and you said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which is a classic, um, you know, uh, phrase. What does that mean to you, uh, you know, as a former foster kid in, in life now? 
in terms of the shepherd idea? So the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And um, so it's basically saying that as long as I have God, then I am fulfilled and I am whole. As a foster, you can feel so empty a lot of times when you don't have family or friends or your parents in your life, and you could be broke, you could be hungry. It's a lot of ups and downs through life. But the scripture talks about being fulfilled not by the worldly things like food or water or even your parents, but having your, your heavenly Father fulfill you in every single way of life. Yes. So as long as I have God, I can be without anything else, and I'll be, I'll be content. That's beautiful. Now, let's get to your story. So I like the way you guys parallel it. In your book, you start with your story, Alexis. Then you go to Justin, right? Back and forth. That's great. Mm -hmm. And then you guys meet at Western Michigan University, your scholarship. Now, you are a freshman, uh, Justin. You're 19 years old. Mm -hmm. You're a junior. You're about 22 years old. So you're the so-called older woman. Mm -hmm. And you meet each other, and you kind of fall for her. She's beautiful to you, I believe, Justin. Uh, You have good connection. And I think you uh, go to her room or something, and you kind of have a little bit of affection with her, and then you you pull back a little bit. So what was going on in your mind? You want to be romantic with her, but you don't want to be too fast. What was your your feeling, Justin? Yeah, uh, I I think I talk about in the book how it's kind of split between being the ladies' guy and yes. and trying to you know at the time of college freshman trying to mm-hmm. actually sleep with women and everything right, and exactly. be out there and trying to fit into a, a group of guys who are sleeping with a lot of women. Uh-huh. And another half of me was trying to build a genuine friendship and connection yes. and we were doing we were doing that at the time uh building a genuine friendship and connection yes. but being split between the two uh, it was it was hard not to try to yes. be the lazy man to swoop in and try to uh <laughs> the, the ladies <laughs> man okay. yeah. all right all right well Alexis, was he a ladies man in your mind or what do you what were you thinking when you saw this guy well i thought he was a baby he was just so, <laughs> so little um, oh are you little like size wise or just uh, age wise just, I mean, age-wise, and then also his face, he had a very oh, much of a face? baby face. Okay. Like, he no, no looks beer? a lot older now, but back <laughs> okay. then, like, he looked so young, probably, like, 17 oh. or 18. Oh, I see. Okay. And, um, and then I just got out of an eight-year relationship a year or a, a week yes. before. Right. And so I was like, no, I'm not trying to talk to anybody. I don't want – we can be friends, but that's it. Right. And, and he was so abusive, was you told me, right? The, the, the ex-boyfriend was very abusive with you. Like, he didn't feed your cats or something like that on a trip? Yeah, and he, you know, I mean, he was abusive to me, and then also to my pets. Um, yeah, to your, so, yeah, yeah for a couple of years. Okay, so you met her. You guys have a good chemistry and connection. However, uh, Justin, you did flirt apparently with uh, the student leader, a girl or something, and yeah. she found out about it. Okay, <laughs> and, he, right and you went out with the football <laughs> players. So tell us about that. Were you trying to get some payback, or what was going on, Alexis? There. No, actually, the football player incident happened first. And oh, I, I honestly okay. didn't even know Justin was right there. Oh. And I was sitting I was sitting at a table with a bunch of people, and yes. there was this football player, and I thought he was super cute. And this guy at my table called him over, and I was just mortified. Oh, and okay. um, and then all of a sudden, I turn around, and Justin's walking out. And I'm Uh-oh. like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know he was right there. <sighs> okay. well, I, I, I think... I think it was a reaction because I the flirting with the student leader. I think uh, that did happen first. That, and oh, that's okay. how we that's how we we told your story. It's kind of like uh, I think from my perspective, that's how it happened. I think it was a reaction to talking okay. to the student leader and everything. Okay, but uh, I don't know. The student leader happened on the last day of the program. No, it happened a couple of times actually. Oh yeah. Okay. But the main, but, the but main Alexis, did you hear like uh, from the grapevine that he was like flirting with other girls? Do you know know that or you didn't know that? I mean, like, I would see it, like, throughout the week, but he kept, like, coming up to me and, like, talking to me. And then um, the last day of the program, after we already made this great connection, he flirted in front of the entire group with the student leader. And I was just kind of shocked, like, 
Why would he do that after okay. we had a connection? Are you turning red or something? Like, are you turning red, Alexis? I see a little. Is that? Uh... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't don't take her back to that moment. Don't oh, okay, I'm embarrassed. Okay, all right. Well, you guys had a really good connection though, but uh, I know Justin. You said you were torn between, I guess, uh, sleeping with a woman. You know, I guess being very romantic with her sexually, and also you know your faith and, and trying to pull back. So how was that conflict though? It seems like you felt guilty at one time, or you went a little too far or something with her. What was going on? No, so I guess. Again, like I said, I was kind of split between the two. And even though we were having a good conversation and we were like watching the movie in her room, I still, you know, it's still a part of me wanted to, was still filled with lust and trying to pursue her sexually. Right. And it was, I thank God that it, it happened the way it did where we didn't have uh, have any sexual activity. But, um, right. you know, because I feel like that would have thrown off our relationship a lot and okay. it would have kind of just disrupted everything. But, um, right. Yeah, it, it happened in the right way where we built a, a true and genuine relationship and friendship before we did get involved sexually. And we're we're just, I'm happy in that moment that, you know, <laughs> that nothing happened. Right. How do you feel about that, Alexis? So what was your point of view? I mean, you've been betrayed before by men. So, but did you trust them initially or what was your feeling about it? Um, I think because we, as you read in the book, like we had that huge connection, like sitting in the grass where I just kind of told him what yeah. happened to me. And he just sort of accepted that. I never had that before. Yes. And so through that, I felt that I could trust him. Right. And, um, and then, so when he did come to the room, I told him, you know, you could sit in the chair. And after <laughs> like, we talked for a long time, um, then we went on to the bed and we watched a movie. Um, and when he did try to make a move and, I told him no, and he respected that. Um, right. That definitely built my trust a lot um, because yeah. other men wouldn't have stopped um, from past experience. So I just really mm -hmm. appreciated and respected that from him. Okay. And then when she revealed to you her past, you really accepted her. I think you said you're beautiful. And uh, if you're still single by the time you graduate, I want to marry you. <laughs> now, was that sincere or was that a line to, to get her attention? It was it was joking at the time, you know, like because the thing is, I, like I said, I was a lot younger. She's really turning purple. She's turning purple right now. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so this is this is a good color change right, oh, okay. right now. Okay. So, um, I was joking at the time. It was a little hint of seriousness, yes. but I was still joking at the time because, again, I was like three years younger, and I was actually, um, a, like I said, a freshman. She yes. was a junior. So right. I was, it was just saying, hey, you know, yes. if you graduate and you're still single when I graduate, then we'll get oh. married. Okay. And then I was deal, and it actually followed through. You know, we, I like we that. Yeah, that, that's pretty married. rare. You follow through, right? Yeah. But you told me she yeah. was out yeah. of your league in the beginning, but I guess you gained confidence as time went on. Huh? That you, yeah. You know, hard, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. You got a great love story. That's wonderful. And you got married, what, after college or when did you guys get married? Actually, we got married this this August. Congratulations. Uh, hey, good 20, job. Congratulations. August 8th, 2020. Yeah. Okay. Oh, 20, okay, very good. So then the book uh, is coming out. You've been writing the book, I think. So let's go back to that. So the, the term normal, I mean, that's a very fascinating term. You know, in psychology, we have the term abnormal, which means to deviate from the mean statistically. Like, for example, hoarders are a small percentage of society, and the behavior they do is considered abnormal. Mm -hmm. And then we have what's called extraordinary. For example, you're not normal, but you're beyond that. Let's say you have special abilities or talents. And then you have what I call the bad normal. I think you were saying when you get accustomed to things that are negative and they seem like they're normal. For example, drug abuse, abuse, domestic violence, all these things you guys went through. And then finally, we have the new normal, which I guess is like you said, redefining what is normal to you. Mm -hmm. but some people think the virus is a new normal in some ways. You know, this thing about the masks mm -hmm. and all the other stuff we're doing. So how do you guys look at that? I mean, what is normal? What is the old normal? What is the new normal to you? Either one can start. As, as it relates to our life or yes. just, yeah, just life. the yes. pandemic? Okay, so... 
a new normal in our lives it, it, it's based on a lot of uh, Christian principles and a lot of ideas just of respecting each other almost of it, it continues it's a pattern of digging into our past and finding more about finding out more about our parents and who they are in yes. order to uh, change that culture you know like uh, for uh, my family, it's been two generations of domestic violence on my dad's side mm. and two generations of drug abuse on my mom's side. So mm -hmm. after finding that out, fi finding that out, you want to be intentional about, mm. okay, uh, here are the, here, here's how I change the normal and the culture of my family. So you continue to find more about your family and your, your past and the things they've experienced because those things can reoccur in your life and you want to be intentional about those things and see how you can change it. Mm -hmm. Alexis, any, any comment on that? Uh, what, what is new normal for you, let's say, compared to your past? For me, it's just a constant journey of unlearning so many toxic behaviors in my past and then also being more aware of, um, of my daily life, my da like my daily thoughts. Well, how am I waking up? How am I going to bed? Um, how, what is my purpose each day? And just making sure that I'm living intentionally versus before it was more in survival mode or passively. So I wanted to make sure that I'm living a life of intention um, okay. and make sure that I'm choosing a life that I want to live versus it being chosen for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing is good about your memoir is uh, it's kind of a novelistic element. So, you know, like you get mm -hmm. interested in the characters. Now, for example, your dad and mom, Justin, you said your mom, was she killed last year, you said? No. So she passed away a week after our wedding and okay. a certain situation. Uh, that occurred with okay. a neighbor and and um, so she was killed. Not not yeah that's yeah she was killed that's, yeah that's where he's at. And then your dad is he around or yeah so uh, I'm in constant communication with my dad and we've okay. been building more of a solid relationship after okay. my mom's passing because um, yes. throughout my life even as an adult I mean once I separated from work I would say more as a, and as an adult after I separated from my mom, yes. we started to build more of a relationship with just talking on the phone where she would call me once or twice a week. Right. And we would just talk pretty often and pretty common. And right. it was huge for her to show up to the wedding mm -hmm. and just, just be there. And that was the last time I was able to see, see her at the wedding. But is your dad, is he out of the drug dealing? Is he clean or do you know what's going on with him? Or just still? Yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's living a better life now. He's doing a lot oh, better. That sounds um, good. It's pretty rare to find that. Sometimes it's hard to get out of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing you talked about is um, you're kind of both wounded, uh, you know, from the past. Uh, you talk about taking an individual journey of healing mm -hmm. before you can join together as a couple. Mm -hmm. That's a very important concept. I had a psychologist, a famous couple called the Hendricks. I don't know if you heard of Harville Hendricks. Mm -hmm. uh, getting the love you want. They were been on Oprah a lot. They, they have a very interesting theory. It's called imagotherapy. And imago mm -hmm. means that you often unconsciously choose a love partner that has the positive and negative elements of the parent you had the most trouble with. And you spend okay. a lot of the time trying to resolve that through your, your partner unconsciously. And that's their theory. <laughs> and sometimes the couples help each other therapeutically, but sometimes you need outside help. So how did you guys do that? You know, you're coming from wounded backgrounds uh, together. How did you resolve that? Or are you resolving it? I think it goes just into that being intentional of healing individually before, yes. um, probably when we first started dating, I think there was part of it where we were trying to seek the feeling of voids and I guess uh, love and healing through our partner, but we can only get that through ourselves right. and uh, nobody else can do that for you. And so I think once we came to that agreement together of the importance of healing individually and also healing together, but the individually needs to happen first. Um, yes. And so that was the only way for us to really get through that. Yeah. Um, like she said before, just being intentional about everything. So, you know, we are aware of our past and our experiences right. and, 
to be a lot of people are are uh, they ignore their past and their family trauma and everything they went through. Yeah. When you ignore it and you put it on the back burner like nothing ever happened, you kind of put that because you can't tuck it in and it never shows. You a lot of people try to hide it and right. act like it's not real. But every time you hide it, it's going to reveal itself in another area. So when you are in a relationship and you know in a relationship the two are like one, you putting these things on one another. Um, it, that's how it reveals itself. You yes. put those trauma, traumatic experiences on your partner. And yes. with us being aware of our past and our trauma and being so vulnerable and honest with each other of our experiences and making mm-hmm. each other aware of our experiences, I am intentional about, okay, here is what I should do. Here's what I shouldn't do. Here is how I support her. And here are the things that she needs to take to a counselor or to uh, God or to uh, someone else who can help her and serve her in her life. And this is what I can do for her. These are the things that I can't do for her. And the same way with me, like I tried to say to her, like, I don't need a counselor. I could just talk to you about my issues. Mm. And she says, no, you need someone who's specialized and equipped to help you uh, grow uh, mentally and in other areas of your life. So we are aware and we are, we go to uh, marriage counseling, even without like serious issues. Justin, uh, you said that you actually believe in therapy. And, uh, you know, I come from a Latino, Latino background and, you know, a lot of minorities, they don't want to do the therapy because they think, you know, you're soft or weak or in Spanish, you say local in la cabeza, right? You're crazy. So <laughs> what do you say to, uh, you know, people that really need therapy, uh, to encourage them, you know, maybe young men or, you know, males, for example, or even women, uh, to go to therapy. What, what is your yeah. Uh, idea? Yeah. So for, uh, I encourage therapy for, uh, any and everybody, but more specifically for black men and women, especially when you see the trauma that we've gone through, uh, in our situations, in our in this country, and internalizing a lot of racism that we go through, it's very important that uh, Black people seek out counseling because, uh, like I said, the, my experiences became normal. And for a lot of young Black men and women, those situations are becoming normal. And right. those ideas are becoming normal and acceptable right. for a lot of Black communities and becoming like the culture and the structure right. Right. of the community you're talking so, like domestic violence or you're talking about you know things like that aggression toward your spouse yeah spouse. like sometimes handling your situations with violence or right. uh poverty internalizing right. poverty yes. and drug abuse and so many other right. things like drug abuse is not just um you deciding i want to use drugs a lot of times it's insecurities and things that you've experienced yeah, that you're analyzing right. yes. and you're turning to drugs to solve those issues and I would advise people in black communities and everybody in general to turn to a counselor. Good point. Now, one thing is I wrote a book called Love Types. It's a bestseller on personality types, Myers-Briggs, and relationships, uh, you know, compatibility. And I was listening to your tapes, and it sounds, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Alexa, you sound like you're more of an um, expressive person. Are you um, kind of an external uh, feeling person? Are you, do you express what you need to say pretty much? Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I can't remember what my Myers-Briggs uh, is. But... Extroverted feeler or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Justin, you sound like you're more the inter-internal thinker type. You you said you like to process things and think it over. And how do you guys work that out? Because that could be sometimes an issue when you're different in your personalities. Yeah, that's something we had to work out in the book. And we it's like a whole chapter on it. Um, Talk it out. And we talk about how our communication styles had to, we had to figure those things out. And one thing that, the reason why I'm so reserved and I try not to speak exactly what I think in the moment, because 
you know, coming from a household where there was a lot of domestic violence, people right. said whatever came to their mind. There was a lot of right. uh, a lot of uh, verbal abuse, like profanity and cursing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of that going on, and I wanted to just be more intentional and aware of yes. the words I use and how my words make other people feel yes. and what I do, because for uh, in my family, with domestic violence being almost like uh, in our in our family for for years and decades. It's, it's so easy to handle situations like that, but I want it to be intentional and not make it a knee-jerk reaction and think about my actions and what I do, what I say, and how I process things. Yes. And with Alexis, uh, she, she'll talk to you more yeah, about more her and how she communicates. Okay. Yeah, I always grew up where you just, especially when you're in an argument, um, you just yeah. say the meanest thing that you could think yeah. of. Okay, it the, comes the out. The further below the belt, the better. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, you, that was your way of winning. <laughs> right, right. But of course, that's not very healthy, but, you know, that's uh, unfortunately yeah. a pattern. <laughs> now, speaking yeah. of patterns, Alexis, one time you said you got some garbage uh, bags because you ran out of luggage for uh, some clothes or something, and then you blew your top, Justin, because it triggered some memories of the past, the garbage bag. Yeah, video. So yeah it was you, a trigger. Uh, you know, most foster care youth can relate to these type of stories where – you're leaving a place and it may be like an emergency or you just have to throw yourself in the trash bag yes. or okay. you don't have luggage and you just have to wow. throw it in a trash bag. But right. even though uh, th this item of a trash bag is used for trash, it's not meant for clothes to go in there, yes. but it symbolizes almost that we're just carrying around this black bag. Yeah. You're and on the run pretty like, much, right? Yeah. This, this is like our life in this bag <laughs> and all of our possessions. Yes. And we're just carrying it in, in right. a trash bag and it almost right. makes you feel like you are the, <laughs> you know, you are a part, this, this trash, trash bag is a part of your life. That's you know? terrible. Yeah. Like you're, you're trash and you're carrying trash, right? Psychologically. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, apparently you guys were, I guess your dad told you to hide from Child Protective Services. You were on the run from them at some point. They were trying to get Yeah. So we talk about that early on in the book where, um, you know, my dad, uh, even though he had his uh, experiences in the community and was selling drugs, yeah. he... It's unfortunate because he was good with he can I feel like he could build any and everything. He can work on cars, okay. houses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was it was regular for me to see him right. working on people's roof and uh, building like a wall or working on plumbing and doing any electric yes. in the house, any and everything okay. that relates to a house. Wow. So when we were on the run from CPS and we moved to an abandoned house, right. uh, we lived there throughout the winter and it was it was wow. rough and it was. Pretty hard, no water or heat or anything. But our dad kept promising us that, you know, once the weather gets better, he'll fix the house up. Or even he never did. He never did right? yes. Yeah, he never did. And that kind of built the trust issues within our family sure. for, for me specifically. So. It's great that you can forgive him. I mean, after all these years and you're becoming friends, it looks like closer to him. Yeah, because it's, you can't you can't keep that resentment. You can't yeah. keep that type of resentment. And again, right. like Alexis said before, that type of resentment only hurts you. And I really want... I want to understand more about my family because it this trauma didn't start with them. It, it went before them. So the more you learn about your parents and their experiences, the more you learn about yourself. Definitely. Now, you know, Love University, we talk about a uh, definition of love for us is loving yourself, others, and a higher nature. It could be God, spirit, you know, your higher belief. So I want to give me a couple of lines for yourself because I know you guys talk about redefining love. Mm -hmm. uh, Alexis, what is love to you? Give me a, like a couple of phrases. Yeah, so um, for, for myself, I my understanding of love was always, um, it was more abusive and, and always that love hurt. And so for myself, I just always expected that for myself, that um, 
the way that I'm going to handle intimate relationships or whatever, whatever relationships, it's always that person is taking something from me and, um, and it's always one-sided. So when Justin and I started dating, um, we had to, uh, redefine that and see that, um, the definition that love actually can heal and it feels good. Um, and it's healthy. Good. I like that. Okay. Uh, heals, feels good, healthy. Uh, Justin, give me your uh, little definition of love. So my definition of love comes from uh, scripture and the Bible. You know, a lot of times we try to make up definitions of love and figure out what does it truly mean. Right. But the Bible lays it out for us plainly and kindly, uh, pretty clear. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all. Love is, um, it it has, it does, it's not envious. It keeps no record of wrong. It sees the best in people. And I try to, uh, and be patient. So in those aspects, I try to love myself and being patient with myself, kind with myself, because sometimes I can be pretty hard, pretty tough and unforgiving for myself. So it starts with loving myself and being kind and seeing the best of what I can do and seeing the best in what God has made me into. And then I'm able to reflect that love on my partner and everyone else. Very beautiful. And of course, I think it also said, uh, love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart. So you're kind of like connecting all levels. And I know you guys are really, yes, yes. I know you really help a lot of people. Say it again. The thing is, it's like a lot of people don't know about that scripture is um, it says that love your neighbor as you love yourself, but people don't know how to love themselves. Ah. So they try to love other people with a definition of love that doesn't work for them. So, yeah, that's that's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Your love university is people, I think. You understand, right? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Now, now, in terms of the foster care, now I did a little research, and there's, a, and also in the book you wrote, you have some good statistics. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there are about a half a million kids in, in foster care, and um, you know there can be issues with foster care. You know, you know there's psychological issues, problems, um, attention deficit, aggression. Some of them may come from the previous environment. Maybe it's sometimes genetic because of the drugs and the, the parent system sometimes. And of course, uh, the other problem is that. Uh, they have issues with uh, high school and college. Only 56% graduate high school, only 3% graduate college, and they, they move around like seven different schools. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious, how did you guys join the 3% club? I mean, you guys are either graduating or graduated college. How, mm-hmm. do, how did you guys do that? Why did you even want to go to college, uh, given all your, your backgrounds? Yeah, so I think uh, for me, um, it was the first. I, I, for my family, I started to become like the – the first person to do a lot of things, the, per- the first person to travel out of the country, yes. the first person to get married. Mm. And the first of the first <laughs> was um, graduate or getting accepted into college and going to college. I am the second of five kids wow. to graduate high school yes. and the first to go to college. So right. once I started that, that first, it just started pushing me to go mm. further and further. And the reason why I was able to, Graduate uh, college is because, again, the Cedar Scholars Program and our support system of uh, campus coaches and a community of people of mentors, campus coaches, an entire program, an amazing partner who was able to push me and carry me when I didn't want to. When I wanted to drop out and go back to Detroit and live with my mom, Ah. uh, Alexis didn't let me. Mm -hmm. And when when I was struggling in school, she would buy, she bought me a planner and I have so many mentors who would Mm -hmm. just contribute to me and it can't and continue to speak great things into my life and campus coaches who would help me financially uh, with budgeting in so many areas of my life. And I had that community of people who weren't going to let me fail. Yeah. And whether you're in foster care or not, you need that. But it's even harder for foster care youth who already have the eye stacked against them and they don't have that support system. Exactly. Now, I used to work for a foster care agency and their goal was reunification, which is fairly common. 
However, sometimes going back to the birth parent triggers abuse. Adoption apparently is a good solution for a you know, certain number of kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, foster care, they say, can be therapeutic as a short-term kind of alternative if you have sensitive, caring foster parents and authoritative discipline. If you guys know that authoritative is means like discipline, but also love at the same time. So you're setting mm-hmm. limits and structure. Now, mm-hmm. it sounds like you had that, Alexis, with your last foster care family, and they mm-hmm. adopted you at 26. So, yeah. you know, you're kind of a very unique person in that way. So. <laughs> well, I well, I moved in with them during my junior year of high school. It was the summer between my junior and senior year. And I lived with them for six months. Then they moved, and I moved in with their parents. But then when I transferred schools, I wanted to be near them again. And so it, I just always kind of stayed in contact. And I always knew that I wanted them to adopt me. It was just when. Mm. And and I wanted to wait until I was 26, so I wouldn't lose my health insurance. So that was the only reason why I waited. Okay. Um, I, it would have happened a lot sooner if, okay. if I didn't have that motive. So just are you their son or their son-in-law? How do you consider that? Her parents? I consider them in-laws. Um, son-in-law. Okay. Yeah, like the son-in-law. So, yeah. Okay. But also uh, like yeah. the son, I mean, some in-laws are very close to the in-laws, I guess. Yeah, what well, we're staying with my parents right now with COVID. There you go. So cool. We're definitely <laughs> okay. getting closer. I see. Now, you guys are doing a lot of fascinating work. You got the scholarship, I guess, uh, finding program where you help people find scholarships and then um, Mm -hmm. community empowerment and things like that. So tell us a little bit about those projects. What are you excited about in the future? What's going on right now in terms of your businesses and things? Yeah, so with the Scholarship Expert, I started that in 2016, and then we relaunched it again in December, and we created an online course called Scholarship Blueprint and also wrote a book called The Scholarship Blueprint as well. And we really focus on helping students find and apply for scholarships. So we teach them what worked for us because we graduated with over $340,000 in scholarships. And so we really just wanted to teach other students the techniques that we've learned. And uh, we actually just relaunched our new website. And I just spoke at a huge conference uh, last week, which I did a workshop on helping families pay for college. So that's really exciting. And then the Rose Empowerment Group is his baby. Yeah. So with the Rose Empowerment Group, that was actually something that was started during the pandemic. And it's been something that my pastor has been telling me to work on for years now and create. And it started where she called me at like 3 or 4 a.m. and told me like, hey, you are a Rose that grew from concrete. And I see that in you. Mm, And Rose uh, Empowerment Group. Uh, ROSE is an acronym for Rising Over Societal Expectations. Oh, okay. And it was created because we wanted to close the information gap for Black and Brown youth. And I've been doing like a lot of mentoring my peers and a lot of younger uh, Black and Brown youth throughout my college career. And we created this to kind of change the narrative and perspective for Black people in Black communities. Because, you know, what's set before us is the legacy of slavery and racism. But we wanted to set a new path for Black communities when it comes to individual growth and character development, working on Black communities and how we can impact the actual neighborhoods. And within that is uh, building healthy relationships with this book, economic growth within Black communities. And lastly, just working on creating an impact and a legacy that reverses systematic racism Mm -hmm. and creating uh, local businesses, programs and initiatives within Black communities that will last beyond people's lifetime definitely so redefining normal i guess you're saying is your your theme no this thing about changing people's inner perceptions uh you know for more of a success mindset right to really believe that you can help and also contribute and leave a legacy mm-hmm. you yeah, guys are doing great things because you're creating uh, what i call light in the world which is great for couples to do you know something beyond yourself that's going to last mm-hmm. beyond yourself now listening to you uh, Justin, i thought you were an introvert but you sound like you're pretty talkative are you actually an extrovert closet wise or, or is it only when you get certain ideas that you start talking 
I would say idea sparked and, you okay. know, just gets the rolling. So. Okay, so okay, so, right. you get the flow yeah, going, Yeah, right? he can be talkative when it's something he's passionate exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. Generally, and, he can be quiet. Okay, internal <laughs> people, yeah, have that energy. Well, this has been wonderful that you guys are really amazing. Uh, you must be at least 30 years old, right, or so, to have all these going, things going for you? 26. That, yeah, 26? 20, uh, she's 26, I'm 23. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, so you guys amazingly accomplished that at, at a young age. So that, that's wonderful. So tell us more about how we can get a hold of you. Do you have a website? Are you doing speaking things? What are you guys up to that we can reach you? Yeah, so we actually have our book on pre-order right now, Redefining Normal, and it's at re-definingnormal.com. And you can feel free to email us at info at re-definingnormal.com. And on our website, we have buttons everywhere that says book us if you would like to book us for an event okay. or a panel or a webinar, okay. whatever it may be, okay. we're available. And then the scholarship expert is the scholarshipexpert.com. Rose Empowerment Group is rosempowermentgroup.com. Okay. So we try to make it pretty easy for I, people I to find okay. us. Yeah, and you can follow us on social media for uh, Redefining Normal is Redefining Normal Memoir on yes. Facebook. And on Facebook, Rose Empowerment Group for scholarship expert, scholarship expert. Yeah, on so Facebook. we try to make so, it wow. easy for you got, to find yeah. us. You got like, it all going, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, you're very happy. But on our website, you can find everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're very so, happy. I can see you're a very happy couple. You have a very good connection here, yin and yang, kind of different energies. And But you come from a, a background of you know adversity, but now uh, I call it from foster to fantastic. That's my term for the show today. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like yeah, that. Uh, little, little hooks. I'm good at that stuff. So Dr. Alex Avi, Love University, if you want to comment on today's show or be a guest or have questions, you can reach us at loveuniversity.love. Call us at 310-226-8090, loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. So it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Love to have you back on again. And basically, I need a copy of the full book. Can I get a copy of the book? Of course. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I love it. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, and then comes, all right, it's been a wonderful pleasure. We'll see you next time. Love University. Perfect. Thank you. So Thank you. Take care. That was a wonderful interview with Justin and Alexis Black, two wonderful young individuals who've done a lot. You know, they've overcome that adversity, coming from a foster care, a lot of abuse and trauma, to being loving people that want to help each other and also the world. Again, Dr. Alex, Avila, this is the kind of show that we want to bring to you where we inspire you, we motivate you to be the best you can be and to take the obstacles and challenges and turn them into positivity and to roses, as Justin was saying. So if you want to be part of Love University, you can like us on Facebook at Love University Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Love Letter U Podcast. Also subscribe to us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Until next time, Dr. Alex Avila, put away your notebooks, your iPads, your iPhones, and we'll see you next week. Make sure... You turn the day into love and happiness. Dr. Avila. Mm-hmm.